0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We're continuing our series God's Providence today with Dr. Newfeld sharing a message entitled, In Him all things hold together. So let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I have on many occasions had conversations with people about God's providence. And when I say that, I don't mean to imply that people begin a discussion by saying, "Hey, I I'd, I'd like to talk about God's providence." And and that's because most people have never heard about God's providence, and if they have, they're not sure what it means. But once they learn about it, well, the discussion becomes fascinating. See, I love to tell a little story. It's It's about the Confederate general in the American Civil War. It's a man named Stonewall Jackson. Now, now to be clear, I think General Jackson was dead wrong about a lot of things. I mean, he fought for a side that would have allowed slavery to continue and to expand, and that's unconscionable. And even though he personally thought slavery was wrong, he fought for an ideal that would have allowed it to continue. He he was wrong. But he was right about one thing. General Jackson received the name Stonewall because in the face of enemy fire, he simply didn't flinch. He believed in God's providence, and so he believed that God at every moment controlled the trajectory of every bullet on the battlefield. And and for that reason, he believed that his life was moment by moment in the hands of God and not in the hands of enemy fire. So he didn't flinch. That's why they called him Stonewall, courageous under fire. Now, was he right about that? And interestingly enough, there's an incident found in the Bible that helps us. 1 Kings 22 describes a battle in which King Ahab of Israel was killed in warfare, and 1 Kings 22, 34-35 says, But a certain man drew his bow at random, struck the king of Israel between the scale of armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until the evening, and he died. You know, at first glance, we might be justified in believing that this was just an unlucky thing, a a fluke event. I mean, what are the chances of a misspent arrow not only finding the king, but hitting him in that little space between the scale of armor and his breastplate? I mean, just a fluky, unlikely thing, so at least it would seem. Indeed, making this even more tragic is that the king of Israel entered the battlefield having disguised himself so that the enemy wouldn't recognize him and key in on him. And so no one was looking to hit him. It was just an arrow that went off course and randomly struck him. It was incredibly bad luck. Now, we might come to that conclusion until we read the wider context of that chapter. King Ahab of Israel was a wicked man, and earlier on, before the battle began, a prophet of God by the name of Micaiah, son of Imla, had said that God would punish the king and that he would be killed on the battlefield. Well, King Ahab was furious with this negative and gloomy prophet, and he he demanded that he be put in prison and to be held there until he, the king, returned safely home from the battle. And that's why the king disguised himself and stood at the edge of the battlefield where presumably he would be safe. But all of that only happened after Micaiah the prophet, and it's recorded in 1 Kings 22, verse 28, he says, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. But of course, as we read the passage, we're left with no doubt whatsoever that God has spoken through this prophet and that the king, that is, King Ahab, is about to be judged by God. And so we come back again to this scene of battle, where the scripture says, A certain man drew his bow at random. And we're supposed to reflect on that because by now we know it's not random at all. God has already predicted this event. Now, the man shooting the arrow acted at random, but God didn't. God directed that arrow. He directed the wind speed, the velocity, its arch through the air. He even directed the way in which that arrow was crafted in the first place so that its flight trajectory would travel in precisely such a way that it would strike that tiny little place between the armor and the breastplate and also strike a vital organ in the king so that he would die. No no accident after all. It's really an incredible thought. What seemed like a fluke shot, bad luck, one chance in a million, turns out to be the predetermined plan of God. Ah, but here, I know what you're thinking. That may have been true of that one arrow, but surely it's not true of every arrow that was ever fired, for, for that seems, well, it seems unlikely. And that brings me back to my opening statement. I've said that I've often spoken with people about God's providence. And when we speak about God's providence, we're speaking of God's governance of all created things. And if you were listening yesterday, you heard me quote two vital passages of Scripture. The first came from Hebrews 1 verse 3. And speaking of Jesus, the text says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. The second text came from Colossians 1.17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, both of those passages indicate that Jesus, who, who is identified with God, is constantly, at each moment, carrying along and guiding all things in the universe. He's directing exactly how each thing in the universe should act. We're also saying that if at any moment Christ were not actively directing all things, they would simply cease to exist. In him, all things truly hold together. The atoms that make up your body, the the clothes on your body, the, the ground under your feet, the air you breathe. The universe in which you live, if Jesus were not constantly, moment by moment, sustaining all these things, they would instantly fly apart, and all things would cease to be. Everything that exists, exists both by His will and by His permission. Everything that goes on is under His direction. That's what we mean when we talk about divine providence. And so every arrow on the battlefield was moment by moment being held together by him. Its properties and the properties of the man who shot the arrow, along with the properties of the man who was hit by the arrow, they were held together by God. Consider the words of Elihu in Job 34 verses 14 and 15. I'm reading this verse from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, if he put his mind to it and withdrew the spirit and breath he gave, every living thing would perish together and mankind would return to the dust. So what is it, according to Elihu, that keeps us alive? Well, it is, he says, because at this moment, God is giving you the spirit of breath. He's actively sustaining your life. Or listen to the prayer of Ezra as recorded in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Ezra prays, You are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. That is, you keep them going moment by moment. You know, Ezra uses the phrase, you preserve all of them, and to preserve something is to maintain it. That is, the reason the oceans exist is because God is maintaining them actively willing them to continue on in their present form. Were he to wish otherwise, they would be otherwise. (laughs) Or listen to Psalm 104, verse 29. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. Our life, according to Psalm 104, is dependent upon whether or not God turns His face toward us in grace or whether He hides His face and turns from us. If He hides His face from us at any moment, we instantly die. And so at each moment, at each microsecond, we exist because He actively and purposely wills that we should exist. Listen to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse seven. It says, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, watch this, being kept, until the day of judgment, being kept, means that God has willed that they would continue to exist until such a time when He determines that He will enter into judgment with all flesh. So here we learn that not only does God will things to continue to exist, but, but He does more. He wills that they exist in order to fulfill His purposes. Things don't just exist, they exist to fulfill the Creator's purpose or His long-term goals. And that's providence. No luck, just God constantly, unceasingly, actively sustaining all things. And that's why Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, "...the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord." That's to say, every time you throw a dice the way in which it rolls out of your hand, the way in which it strikes the surface, the the velocity of the hit and everything else, including the numbers that come to the fore, well, those are determined by God's providential oversight of all things. Now, I know there are those of us who think, well, this must lead us to become fatalists. Well, I'll come to that as we continue our study. I will say in the future that this view of things doesn't lead to fatalism at all, but I'll leave that for a later time. For now, let's be amazed that all things hold together in Him.
0: The Back to the Bible Canada blog page has recently seen some exciting changes. So in addition to Dr. John's blogs, We'll now be having regular monthly blog contributions from special ministry guests and friends of the ministry. So make sure to receive the Back to the Bible Canada Dr. John and Company blogs each week by signing up for our audio mail or download our Back to the Bible Canada app or just visit backtothebible.ca every week. Timely, interesting, biblical perspective sharing thoughts about faith, life, and culture with the Bible at the very center. To check out the Dr. John and Company blog page, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information. And remember to ask for your free ministry resource, 10 Questions About Money Matters, during the month of August.
1: I want to come back to the idea that I've often discussed the matter of God's providence with people. You know, in fact, the providence of God has often come up in my conversations with non-Christians. So here's my memory of one of those discussions. My, my friend said, the reason why I can't be a Christian is that I believe in science, and therefore, I don't believe in miracles. And, and I respond by saying, well, have a look around you, the world in which we live. I mean, even science says that matter is not eternal. In other words, all this stuff around us, the world in which we live, once didn't exist. Indeed, there was a time when nothing existed. And then, how is it that out of nothing came all of this? What scientific principle are you leaning on as you daily witness the miracle of this world, which came out of nothing? Now, I have found that's an effective argument for miracles the existence of something rather than nothing is the very definition of a miracle. It it defies all scientific principles. But that discussion, that is, that creation itself is a miracle, doesn't yet plumb the depths of God's activity in the creation. See, our problems, I like to say to my non-Christian friends, is that we have become fixated on miracles rather than providence. That's because when we observe nature, as scientists do, what is it that they're actually observing? All that scientists can do is observe that certain things happen with a a certain consistency. That is, we notice that every time we drop a stone from a tower, it falls down and not up. Do it a thousand times, and it happens that way every time. And from that observation, we form conclusions. That's how nature functions. But why does it function that way? See, the doctrine of God's providence says that it functions that way because God preserves all things at all times. See, all that a miracle is, is God acting in a way that's unusual. If on one occasion that rock flew upwards rather than down, and then never flew upwards again, we might say that one time was a miracle. God preserved the activity of that rock on that one occasion in ways which is different from his normal patterns. But either way, whether nature behaves in an unusual way or whether it behaves in a way that's consistent to its normal patterns, God is constantly sustaining it, holding it together, causing it to function the way that it does. This is a very important principle. It's not that God suddenly showed up when a miracle occurred and then was absent when there were no miracles. God is constantly present to all points in creation, willing all that happens. And by the way, this is the very principle of modern science. Let's talk about science for a moment. We know that all of the early scientists came from a Christian worldview. Johannes Kepler, Galileo, Sir Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, others who gave birth to the modern scientific movement. Well, they were all professing Christians. Now, was that just an accident? Well, no. The reason Christianity gave birth to the scientific enterprise is that Christianity presented these men with a worldview that made the scientific enterprise a possibility. Well, how so? Remember, we're talking about Christ holding all things together. And so, you see, if it's Christ who holds all things together, then we might expect that there is a supernatural and not a natural explanation to things. For example, when we hear thunder, perhaps it's God's anger, rather than the sudden increase of pressure and temperature that comes from lightning. I hope you see that. Many people think that if you believe that God is constantly holding all things together, then we might not look for a natural or a scientific explanation of things. I mean, that's why they think that science and faith are at odds. But I'm going to argue that the doctrine of God's providence leads directly to the scientific enterprise, not away from it. Now, in order to demonstrate that, let me, let me suggest an illustration. I want you to think for a moment of a merciless dictator. I'm, I'm thinking about the kind of a man who sometimes acts in heinous ways on a mere impulse. As an example. One contemporary dictator had his own uncle killed because, in his estimation, he was not enthusiastic enough in supporting him. Now, if you serve a dictator like that, it's scary because you never know what he's going to do next. He's unpredictable. Look, if he's had a bad night's sleep, he might have you killed because he's feeling out of sorts. I mean, what if he had a fight with one of his wives or mistresses, and and now he takes that out on you? What if he suffers from mood disorders? I mean, don't you see anything might set him off and when it does, all the rules will just fly out the window. Well, the ancient Greek and Roman gods were like that. They were to put it mildly, capricious. They were fickle and for reasons that were unknown to human beings, they might elevate or condemn any person whom they chose. So if you got sick or if you became rich, whatever happened, it was due to the gods. You might try to appease them through offerings and sacrifices, but you had no assurance at all that they would favor you or condemn you. The gods were unpredictable. Now, if these gods rule nature or the physical world, we never know on any given day how they might act. See, don't you see? That worldview makes it impossible for the scientific worldview to develop. But the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth, is not fickle. He's predictable in the sense that his attributes remain constant. It's not that God is righteous on one day and then unrighteous the next, depending on his feelings. Instead, God is constantly righteous. He never acts with injustice. Indeed, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. God never denies his character. He never makes a promise today and then breaks it tomorrow. Listen to James 1 verse 17. It says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or listen to Malachi 3 verse 6, For I the Lord do not change. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so, if this consistent, unchangeable God governs the universe, it must therefore be possible to study his creation, knowing that it functions in consistent patterns. Therefore, since the creation was not only made by God, but that this consistent God governs it in a consistent way, well, we would then expect that we might discover this consistency. That would mean that if a scientific experiment gives a certain result today, we might therefore expect that if the same experiment is repeated by someone else at a different time tomorrow, it will produce the same consistency of results. And that's why the modern scientific era came out of a Christian worldview. Since a consistent and reliable God not only created all things, but preserves all things, well, we've got to assume that we can study the consistency that he has placed in the natural world. Now, of course, in the modern world, there are a great many scientists who are either atheists or agnostics, but please understand that once we discover that nature does operate in consistent patterns, we're not required to believe in God to observe those patterns. But the doctrine of God's providence is the very doctrine that gave rise to the possibility of the modern scientific era. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And Psalm 50 verse 6 says, The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. That means that the created universe not only behaves consistently, it behaves consistently precisely because God, the altogether consistent one, sustains it. And This gives every believer a great deal of comfort, for it's not just that God is providential in his dealings with the universe, but that his providence is a kind and loving and benevolent providence. First Timothy 6, verse 17 says that we must put our hope in God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. And when the Apostle Paul addressed the philosophers in Athens, he said, and I'm quoting him from Acts 17, 24 to 25. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself, listen now, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything, and and that's it. The mere fact that God holds all things together is of great comfort to everyone. For God not only directs the arrows on the battlefield, he directs the air into our lungs so that we can live and he does so, so consistently, that we can study his
0: patterns in the world that he has made. John, I guess a couple things come to mind while you were speaking. One is this whole idea of, is there nothing that's random? But also the other thing that came to mind was, you know, there's got to be a great degree of confidence in the Christian knowing that everything is ultimately in God's hands.
1: Yeah. So, the the first deal is the random thing. And I know that if you flip a coin, it's going to come up heads or tails. And we might ask ourselves, well, is that really controlled by God? And the answer, according to Proverbs 16.33, is yes, it is. But scientists also speak about a law of probability in which this does function within physical laws in which God governs the universe. So, I think we can talk about everything, either large or small, being in God's hands, controlled by God. And yeah, that gives us, my goodness, that gives us such a confidence that God is caring for me. I mean, the alternative is God cares about the big stuff but not the little stuff or, you know, I mean, something bad happens and it was just bad luck. Well, if that's what we think, how much comfort and confidence can we have that God is in control of all things? So I think we're left with this idea that God controls the big things and the little things.
0: Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence in Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible both bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video print radio podcast mobile app and cd it's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the bible all of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners it's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished so thank you for all you do and remember that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support.